This is a St. Louis Docker Report and Eastern Conference Confidential Collaborative. Hello everyone, Phil Grooms here. If you're listening to St. Louis Soccer Report, then this is all pretty normal at this point. If you are listening on the Eastern Conference Confidential podcast stream, then this is a little weird. Uh, Evan uh, let me post up, he was nice enough to let me post up this interview that I just did with Daryl Grove of the Total Soccer Show. Um, We talk about the kickers, we talk a little bit about St. Louis, but the bulk of this talks about the USL in general, talks a lot about uh, lower division soccer in general, and its growth in the United States. And so I thought uh, Eastern Conference Confidential guys might enjoy listening to this as well. Uh, So here it is. This is me talking to Daryl Grove about all of those things, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm joined here with Daryl Grove of the Total Soccer Show, among many other shows at this point in your life, <laughs> Daryl. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, man. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you because um, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this, but here I am saying it. Uh, your podcast is my favorite podcast, period. So, Oh, wow. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me on your show, Phil. I really, really appreciate it. Indeed, definitely. And so I've got a lot to talk about. Uh, before we go, I have to say this right at the beginning. I have to ask you this. Yeah. Literally just now, uh, news about Dom Dwyer came out. So I was hoping for a quick take, hot take from you. What? What's the news about Dom Dwyer? Has he gone to Orlando? It's official. Yeah, for a hundred. It's official. Yeah, one point six million dollars in allocation money, which some of it is incentives. I don't know. You know how that goes, but uh, it's official now. Yeah. Well, wow. no, not official. Official on Twitter by multiple sources, I should say. So does, does this mean that Orlando are returning to USL? <laughs> so Dom Dwyer can win another championship with Orlando? Yeah, taking it back old school. He's going to put on the purple and go back down Division 3, not 2, Division 3. Yeah, I guess my quick take, hot take is what happens with Sydney LaRue, right? Because weren't they sort of in the same city playing together? And now does she sort of angle for a move to Orlando Pride maybe? Oh my gosh. Uh, he's going to have to get some books on long distance relationships, I think. Yeah. This is very good point there. That's a yeah. good, good first take actually. Or he'll need like a good good Wi-Fi so he can get a good Skype connection with good video. Exactly, much like perhaps <laughs> ours right now. So far, so good. So, <laughs> um, okay. Well, well, that's not why we're here. I just thought I'd mention that right at the top here. Um, we're here to talk about Richmond and the USL in general. Um, you and your partner, podcasting partner Taylor, uh, do the play-by-play and color commentary for Richmond. I think you have for what yeah. two seasons now? Yeah, this is our second season. We're halfway through our second season. Awesome. And uh, I just kind of wanted to ask you, definitely get the skinny on Richmond, but let's talk about um, doing the play-by-play. What's that been like and how do you like it? Yeah, I was a little nervous about it to begin with. And uh, we also, Taylor kind of talked me into it by saying, we won't do it like the other guys do it. Because the way, the thing I was worried about is every USL commentary I saw, and with all the respect to the guys that do it, because you you quickly learn how hard it is to do. Mm. But I feel like everybody's doing like, a very fake professional thing. Like they, the way they've heard soccer announcers do it is the way they think they have to do it. So there becomes this like American soccer announcer voice. So we tried very hard to sort of still make it a conversation, like just two people watching a game together and talking about what's happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be modest, but I'm pretty confident that we've been successful at doing that. And in a way that 
So our original fear was maybe we'd get in trouble with the league for not doing it the way they expected. Mm-hmm. But so far, so good. We've gotten away with it. I actually, it's so funny you say that's exactly what I thought. I've only listened to one game and watched one game where I heard you guys talking. Um, but um, exactly what I thought. I thought you guys do it very different. If people haven't watched the podcast, they might be a little confused. But since I do or listen <laughs> yeah. to the podcast, um, it was pretty normal for me. Uh, but yeah, there was no pushback from the league because that was actually another thing I wondered when they stepped up. You know, there was supposed to be this step up of quality and the USL was going to, uh, yeah. you know, they were going to supply most of the color commentary and play by play at that point. I thought you guys would disappear because our St. Louis guys did disappear, actually. So, yeah, we I mean, we heard that rumor and I think like some of the video crew were wondering what exactly was going to happen. And I think this, so this isn't official, like I don't have the inside line on exactly what <laughs> happened. But as I understand it, um, the teams were allowed to choose um, whether they wanted to go with the league provided stuff or whether they would stick with their in-house guys. Okay, so the teams themselves got to choose. Yeah, and I'm not even sure it was like, so this is, again, this is just my take, right? This is not official from the kickers or from the USL Mm. um, because, you know, we're contractors, not salaried employees of the teams. Um, But I think it's probably a cost thing, right? Because probably you would have to give the league a certain amount of money to cover their costs for doing your broadcast Mm -hmm. and for paying the commentary guys, or you can decide we'll pay these local guys to do it, right? So I think that's more the choice. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's actually what I assumed in that, you know, I imagine for St. Louis, maybe it was cheaper to just let USL do it. And maybe, maybe you guys are getting screwed. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you get paid, but um, yeah, cool. Um, I'm also going to... It's $4 billion per season. Oh, okay. They're getting a really good deal on you. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm also kind of curious about preparation because if I, you know, if, if ever I don't like a commentator, it's usually because they don't really seem to know much about my team. And so I was kind of curious how hard it is to put that time in as well. So here's one of the things we talked about again, when Taylor talked me into doing it, and I'm glad that he did. Um, He said, the main problem is that the, it's home guys broadcasting the game. But we assume the majority of people watching the broadcast, especially when it was on YouTube only or on USLsoccer.com only, like now it's um, our games are broadcast. Some of them are broadcast locally on the CBS affiliate. Mm. Um, But the majority of viewers are going to be away fans who can't be at the game, right? Because their team is so far away. They're, They're real dedicated. I feel like if you're dedicated enough to be a USL fan, then you're going to go to the game. Right. So it's quite so the majority are away fans. But then you're hearing the home commentary, which isn't biased, but is obviously more knowledgeable about the home team. So it's just massively frustrating when you're sort of mispronouncing or just not even knowing the name of the uh, of the away team. So like if it was St. Louis and we didn't know the players, I've, I've really seen commentators just be sort of. St. Louis with the ball, mm-hmm. which means the guy with the ball, I don't know his name. <laughs> um, so, so what we do, so right now, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know much about the St. Louis team right now because I haven't done a commentary for them for the kickers this season. Mm-hmm. By Saturday, which is, I believe is when the game is, yeah. I will know every player, I will know their number, I will have like some insight into sort of, not insight, but you know, some knowledge of sort of whether they're fast or slow or strong or like for of the fans of the away team um because even though we sort of obviously know the home team very well because we've seen them play you know a hundred times that's that's an exaggeration but you know it can feel that way when you're on a 15 game losing streak um, it's it's really important to sort of be as familiar as possible with the away team to be respectful to the away fans and then to have a good sense of the game so you're not just guessing at who the players are i completely agree i think that's a really good way to approach it and um i just i i honestly think if if, if i were ever every 
person who loves soccer thinking considers themselves in that position at some point, especially when they don't like the announcers. And I just know that yeah. I would mess up the small things like, you know, just like you said, I would mess up numbers and names and I cannot imagine trying to keep that straight. Well, we do, we do flashcards as well. So like Taylor and I will have flashcards wow. and I'll be like, who's number 17? And we'll sort of quiz each other on who, who it is. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> Daryl, you guys are worth every penny. So there you go. <laughs> of the uh, four billion. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's move on to Richmond themselves. Um, obviously, okay. you're going to know them pretty well because you see every home game at least. So yeah. tell me a little bit about Richmond as they are this season. It has been a rough season. Um, until this past weekend. So the kickers won this past weekend. They, uh, they won three, two. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first win since April 22nd. Who was April that? April 22nd. Against? Was that against Charleston? The winner on April 22nd, I think was Harrisburg city Islanders or Pittsburgh hounds. Oh, I can't remember. Now you put me on the spot. No, um, I don't remember. It was, a, it was a Pennsylvania team. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, my, um, my other, I do the Eastern confidential conference confidential podcast with evan valella who covers uh bethlehem steel and yeah he was thinking i was wondering if you would know he thought that that uh richmond ended the streak for pits for bethlehem steel and also charleston when they were on winning oh, wow. no losing streaks that's something i need to look up uh for him and for me but i was curious if you knew but anyway continue yeah you broke you broke Bethlehem's streak with a win the yeah. other day and more importantly, broke the Richmond streak. It was 13 USL games without a win, and it was 15 games without a win if you include the loss to Swansea City in the sort of, you know, summer friendly, which obviously is nothing to be ashamed of. But then there's also a loss to Christos FC, the amateur team from Baltimore in the mm. second round of the US Open Cup. So that kind of balances out as like a, a good loss, bad loss kind of thing. And so, yeah, so it was a really big deal to break to break that streak. And we're kind of looking forward. The kickers actually play Wednesday night against Charlotte. So we'll see if we can start talking about an unbeaten streak. That would be really nice. I, I'm uh, Honestly, we've been beaten by Charlotte twice and uh, I would really like to see them beaten because they're doing <laughs> really well right now too. Yeah. Um, but tell me about the team itself. Like what, what players yeah. do we need to look out for? What do you guys look like this season? So the big problem, I think weirdly, the thing that everyone's been talking about with the kickers this year are the players that aren't there. So we lost Hugh Roberts, the center back. I think he was either USL Defender of the Year or in the USL 11. Um, He went to Bethlehem still. So he came back to City Stadium this past weekend. Um, We also lost uh, Brian Ownby, I think went to Louisville. Um, So a lot of like really, um, I'd say our most talented players with the biggest upside, we lost um, over the, I was going to say in the summer, like a European transfer, but I guess over the winter. Mm. And as I understand it, it's because the kickers are financially, they, you know, other teams are offering more money that the kickers can't always compete with. So it's been a long season in terms of having the new guys figure out exactly exactly what's going on. We also had Jason Yeisley uh, not come back. He was kind of the first choice center forward. So this season has been all about sort of trying to figure out um, who's our most effective striker and like what's the correct def- central defensive pairing now that Hugh Roberts isn't there. So I realized that wasn't the question you asked me, right? The question you asked is, no, who do that's... we need to look out for? Um, the guy that um, finally, uh, we saw him in preseason, number nine, Oliver Minitel. He is Brazilian German, so I think he goes by Oliver. Um, he looked incredible in preseason. And Talia and I were both very excited. Oh, this could be the guy to you know solve the striker problem this year. And then he's been injured and injured, little injuries here and there, and just playing 20 minutes and sometimes playing on the wing. He finally, against Bethlehem Steel, got the start up front, won number nine, looked excellent. Mm. Scored um, a goal right at the start of the second half to equalize and like, turn the game around for the kickers. Did a lot of sort of... 
he's not a big guy in terms of like winning headers or that kind of stuff, but he's going to do a lot of like very clever layoffs and just nice little touches. Uh, and he's pretty good at dribbling at people and really does have a great sort of, I want to say a great shot, but not in terms of like a thunderbolt, more like he'll curl it and bend it and place it in the far corner. So that's finally a player to be excited about for the kickers. Um, another guy to look out for is Frank Tayu. Are you familiar with that name? I'm not actually, no. So I was not until he joined the kickers about a month ago. He's a former futsal player. He played for the U.S. national futsal team. Um, and then he's ne- never played 11 aside until last season when San Antonio, I think it was, picked him up. And he had half a season with them, scored quite a few goals. People were really excited about him. But then because futsal is in like an opposite season to USL, he went back to his futsal team in Mexico, right? Because he wants to work year round, like play 11 aside in the USL season and futsal during their season. But his team went to the playoffs and he wanted to win another championship. And that overlapped with the start of USL. Hmm. So I think San Antonio kind of said, well, you got to choose. And he chose futsal playoffs. Oh, that's him. Yes, I do yes. know this story. That's crazy. Yeah, I figured. And so then they obviously didn't pick him up. I'm assuming because they weren't happy with that situation, which um, turned out to the kicker's advantage because halfway through the season, when we're looking for a striker, we could pick up Frank Tayu as well. And he scored uh, one goal, not on his debut. Was it on his? It was on his debut. Yeah, he's got an equalizer on his debut, and he hasn't been playing 90 minutes or even starting every game. So I don't think he's fully fit for 11 aside, but he's getting there. And he might either start or come off the bench. And you've really got to keep an eye on him because, as you'd imagine, with a futsal player, he has some unorthodox moves like I could not describe to you the things he does but th- th- I know that they sort of really uh, confuse defenders when he does them that's great that's got to be fun to watch actually yes it has yeah in short bursts so far but yes definitely it's been fun to watch yeah definitely um tell me about Chris Durkin is the guy that seems to get the most attention you know being loaned out from DC United it, yeah is, is Richmond also just a team that has a lot of youth um because I was wondering if that's one reason you guys were struggling um, I think the answer is yes. Um, but Chris Durkin, I think he's, he may still be 16. I'm not sure he's even turned 17 yet. Um, he's on loan from DC United because uh, kickers are the DC United affiliate. So they always send four or five players to Richmond to, you know, get some minutes. Durkin's one of those guys that um, I think they assume he's not ready for Major League Soccer. But when he's played for Richmond, he has looked like, weirdly, he's looked like a man against boys and he's the boy amongst men. Mm. He has been sort of aggressive, like really competitive, will just get to you, knock you off the ball, take the ball off you. And then he's like very, he's got moves, but not in a flash way. It's like, he'll just like do a little feint and then get away from a midfielder, open up some space. And then he'll sort of spread the play with a long ball out wide, or he'll play like a, a beautiful ball over the top, like really nice, like accurate range of passing. I'm, I'm really, I've been really excited to see him play. Unfortunately for the kickers, maybe fortunately for St. Louis, Mm. um, he is right now with the U-17s in training camp as they prepare for the World Cup in October. They've called a camp, I can't remember exactly where, but all the U-17s have met up. So he's not available for the kickers right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Where in the midfield does he play typically? Usually he'll play as sort of uh, one of the two central defensive midfielders, kind of like not, he won't join the attack too much, but he'll sort of orchestrate from deep and uh, put some tackles in from deep. Great. Okay. And so that's what, that's another reason I asked is because I knew he dabbled in men's national team under 17. Yeah. So, uh, good to hear he's still doing well with them. Um, although he didn't see much time, did he, uh, in this last thing? No, he was, um, he was, I think he started during the qualifiers. So he was definitely, oh. he's one of their main guys. I've, he's also been the captain in the past. I don't know if he's lost that recently, but I expect when the U17 world cup starts in October, I expect he'll be in the starting 11. Gotcha. Okay, great. Uh, I think I was mixing up the under 20s. I just realized that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, um, so I had a couple questions there. First of all, you mentioned Ownby and all the other guys leaving. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that. Ownby just went down with Louisville, but before he went down, um, the guy gave us a heck of a lot of trouble. He's a really quality player. And yeah. I've heard about all the other guys you mentioned. So, yeah, that makes sense that they're that they've lost a lot of good players and that money is a problem, you know, for keeping them there, which is funny yeah. because Louisville actually has that problem too. Apparently I think Cincinnati is known for stealing all the good Louisville players. <laughs> so, um, it's just an interesting thing there. Um, the other thing I well, want, that's, that's the thing for the kickers, right? Is that they're this team that's been around for what, 25 years. Yeah. And I think they've done it by being very smart organizationally, never overspending, just like doing the basic things. Right. But suddenly there are a lot of teams coming into USL that are either sort of MLS, um, teams basically, right. They're owned by MLS teams or they're like FC Cincinnati where they have huge ambitions. So they're ready to sort of throw way more money at their team than teams, Like they're well run and they're throwing money at their team. So suddenly just being the smart organized team, which Richmond were, um, isn't quite enough to be near the top of the table anymore. In fact, I believe Richmond is second bottom of the Eastern Conference as we speak. Yeah. You know who's right above them? St. Uh, Louis. <laughs> but yeah. before we talk about that, because I do want to I want to talk about that a lot. But um, there's also this theory that we have at Eastern Conference Confidential about the old guard and the new guard. Um, and it's something ah. that you mentioned. Um, you know, there is a growing gap between styles of play and the amount of money that people are spending and investing in these USL clubs. And uh, who knows if that'll keep up. But I know the style of play thing has been changing. And we've noticed that for the most part, there's this old guard cup, right? This tournament of all the original, yeah. you know, East East Conference uh, teams in the USL that they kind of, you know, take all the games they play, add up the scores, and there's a winner at the end of the year. Um, and so we were thinking that a lot of the newer teams are trying to play this possession soccer, maybe a high press is pretty typical of that. Yeah. And kind of all the old guard teams are still kind of doing what the kickers are doing and organized, you know, they may sit back, they may launch it long, um, any combination of that kind of thing. Um, except for a couple teams in that Charleston obviously is doing their own thing, which seems to be unlike most of the teams in the, in the USL. Um, and then also Bethlehem or sorry, um, uh, the Riverhounds rather seem to be kind of in and out of that style of play. Is, Is that something you've noticed yourself in watching all these different teams? Um, well, so we've, we've really only seen the teams that sort of, uh, like we said, we prepare for the away team kind of intensely for the week before, but then it's almost like a short term memory thing. And then you kind of forget it and move on to the next team. Right. So weirdly, even though I've kind of seen every team come through, I can't say that I have like a good overall view of what each team's style is, because then I sort of have to wipe that from the hard drive and <laughs> go into the next one. Um, but I would say, I think your observation is correct that the sort of the newer teams play um, a more sort of foot on the pedal kind of style with pressing and then like fast moving the ball quickly. And I wonder, this is just me sort of like taking a guess at this. I wonder if you are a team that's looking to get noticed by major league soccer and be in the talk for expansion um, and get your fans excited, then it's like as an organization, it's worth playing an exciting brand of soccer in order to catch attention. And then the the flip side is maybe with a team like uh, the teams that have been around a long time, if they've had the same coach for a long time, maybe they just stick to the the style of play that they've been used to for, you know, a long time. Oh, man, I think that's actually pretty spot on thinking about it now. Um, I'll have to keep that. Keep an eye out, though, for that, um, because, yeah, I think a lot of the teams are either affiliated to MLS or looking for expansion uh, that are playing that that 
you know, attacking style soccer. And I know for a fact, St. Louis said they wanted it in order uh, to kind of attract fans and make them happy. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about losing, Daryl, because we're having <laughs> to sit here and watch these teams lose and lose and lose. And obviously, you've been a soccer fan for years. Um, is I imagine you've had a team that you've had to follow for a long time and been passionate about that keeps on losing and losing and losing. Uh, is, is there one that comes to mind immediately? Uh, for me, it was Wolves. Mm -hmm. um, the last time we were in the Premier League, the back end of the season was uh, just an absolute disaster. I think we lost 5-1 to our local rivals, West Brom. Um, fired the coach, Mick McCarthy. Um, just like promoted his assistant, Terry O'Connor, and didn't get like a full-time replacement in. And we kind of just staggered through the the last 10 games of the season maybe more with just constant i think we may have got like maybe one or two draws but it was just a we weren't even fighting against relegation we were just definitely going down it was awful to watch yeah and so maybe tell me about the fans and what wolf wolves fans are like in a situation like that i imagine in england it might be even worse than what we're seeing here in st louis but um maybe richmond and wolverhampton what what is it like for losing teams in your experience well, actually, so there's a massive contrast here. Uh, Wolves fans, even when the team's doing okay, if we, if Wolves like even have the ball for the first 20 minutes and don't score, you can feel the atmosphere get frustrated. You can almost like hear people fidgeting and you know like scratching and sort of get starting to get tense. And then 30 minutes, they start to turn on the team a little bit. So many times I've seen Wolves booed at halftime. People are very sort of wow. demanding and it absolutely does not help. I've seen Wolves get in a slump because they're almost scared of their own fans at some point. Um, that may change. A new ownership, we've got a whole new group of players. People may be feeling more optimistic. By contrast, Richmond on this, um, this downturn they've had in results, right? So 13 USL games uh, without a win. Um, the fans every week have come in and been super optimistic. Like not blindly, there have been some people, you know, there's some Facebook groups where people are grumbling about what's going on, what's going on. But at the start of the game, they're still singing the songs. I think, um, yeah, I'm sure at the start of the Bethlehem Steel game this past weekend, um, the Red Army, which is a supporters group, held up a huge banner that said, we're not dead yet, oh. which was just kind of like embodied the optimism that, that they come with every week. And I was so happy to see, like, I mean, obviously happy for the players. I mean, happy for ourselves to see a win, but so happy for those fans who've kept a really positive attitude through some really tough times to be rewarded with like an 89th minute winner and um, that they could really, really celebrate. I think there was uh, the camera caught <laughs> two of the guys in the Red Army, like one pouring beer into the other's mouth with his arms <laughs> in the air and in a huge celebration. That's, awesome. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And and I imagine the players, it's like a relief for them to be able to go yeah. to the fans and look them in the eye, which happens yes. more so in USL than in MLS even, and mm -hmm. say, hey, we, we got you a win. We, we treated you right. And we Absolutely. owe you for being so positive all season. Yeah, because I'd even seen um, two of the more senior players, Connor Shinoski, um, I think who'd been he'd been at Richmond before, been at DC before, he's been at Louisville before, I believe, and William Yombi, who's the captain of Richmond right now, and he's sort of you know been around a long time, really good centre back, uh, number two. You'll see him when you uh, when kickers play St. Louis. Both of those those guys at various points have done video apologies mm. directly to the fans. I think written apologies on Facebook as well, just saying you know that performance wasn't good enough. We apologise. We're going to do better. Like not even not making excuses. Like they said like it's a young team and we're getting there, but not in a way that was like it's a young team. You've got to excuse the defeats. It sure. was just totally owning the fact that they weren't coming through and just promising to make it better. So when you saw on uh, Saturday evening when it really came through, I felt so good for those guys as well because you know that those experienced guys. Um, I think it's the first time they've been through a losing streak like this. So to see them pull out of it was really fantastic. 
Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I mean, our our players feel so bad for the fans because we have such a great atmosphere on game day. It's not the biggest crowd, not the smallest by far, but it's still, it's a really good atmosphere and the players yeah. definitely are lifted by it, uh, but you see it on their faces in a loss. I mean, you they just come over like sad little puppies and they feel terrible and they apologize yeah. and and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, but I imagine that's still better than getting booed at halftime in England. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and then you've also got to think, you know, even those those Wolves players, they're not the best players in the world, but a lot of them are probably very very wealthy mm. from playing soccer in the Premier League or the Championship. When you when you're looking at USL players, these are guys that. Um, None of these guys are wealthy. They're not driving like super expensive cars. They definitely don't helicopter in and out of games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they're, they're probably, some of them are earning less than some of the fans, I would imagine. So it's not as if, these these are like sort of down to earth guys who really are trying their hardest. They're not aloof and they're not sort of above the fans. And that's one of the things I love about watching the kickers and all of USL. Uh, completely agree. Let's talk more about USL though, because it is a, a league that is growing a lot. Um, it is connected to MLS. There's a lot of competition between them and NASL, but um, how do you feel as someone who obviously do play by play for Richmond, but you focus mostly on the national team, you're focusing a little more on MLS and you like to talk about yeah. Europe a lot. Um, but you know, as a person who's followed those things more, how do you view USL in the overall U.S. soccer world? Um, the thing I'm most excited about with USL is um, making sure that guys have an opportunity to play who sort of aren't quite ready for prime time in Major League Soccer. Like, I think it's great that those guys can still have a professional career and it's either a launching pad into Major League Soccer or maybe to elsewhere. But um, it's definitely like, you know, a steady professional job where you can get paid to play soccer at a decent standard. And then the thing I'm most, most, most excited about is seeing these young players coming through. Like, I really feel privileged that this year I've got to watch Chris Durkin so much because you can just see that he's going to be this huge star, right? Either in MLS or in Europe or something. Um, unless like, you know, all careers can go off track, right? But if things go to plan, he's going to be a big deal. Last season, I saw Andrew Carlton come on hmm. for Charleston Battery and do really, really well. Um, and you could sort of see the talent that was there. Like he changed the game when he came on against the kickers for Charleston Battery. And he's going to be a big deal as well. He's already played, I think, four minutes in Major League Soccer as a, as a 16-year-old. So, um, I'm, and Derek Etienne Jr., I know he plays for New York Red Bulls now. He was with New York Red Bulls too last year. And you could see he was kind of different class. So, um, you know, with, with Total Soccer Show, we do all the scouting network stuff. So we're really tuned into sort of who the up-and-coming youngsters are. But to actually see them in the flesh at the start of their career playing against other professionals, it's, it's a real sort of pleasure to watch. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm actually still surprised how often we're not or how little we see fans of MLS and especially maybe fans of European soccer. Um, there's this duality of the soccer hipster who only loves Europe and then maybe soccer hipsters who only like, you know, who like to follow the minor league of MLS essentially and try yeah. to find these young stars. And, and St. Louis is pretty bad because we don't have an MLS team. I imagine... Richmond, typical Richmond uh, people follow DC United, but I don't know. Yeah, there's, that... there's a lot of there's a lot of dual fandom. Okay, yeah. So yeah. So what's that like? Is that something you're seeing more and more, or, or do you think that's going to grow, or do you think it's just not going to happen? I don't know if you've seen any of that. You mean USL wide? Is there going to be more sort of uh, affiliates or more like uh, Lost Dust and New York Red Bulls too? No, I guess I'm thinking of the psyche of the American soccer fan. Do you think you'll see more and more of these 
people following USL, if, if they're a oh, fan of DC United, are they going to follow USL to try to geek out on, on these players coming through? Because I just know that's what I'm like. And I know in St. Louis, it's a baseball town, right? And, and, yeah. and the lower farm divisions are a huge deal. People follow them very, very closely. And so I was kind of curious if you thought maybe soccer could turn into that in the future. I mean, it's nowhere near there. Uh, but do you th- see that happening at all? My guess is that it's only people like only people like you and me who will be sort of into it enough because we're essentially I mean we're both doing a podcast right we're soccer nerds we're sort of deep <laughs> yeah. in we're deep into it and when you care about that stuff then I think you go deep and deep when it's not if it's not your hometown team um you've either got to be a super super fan of your MLS team and want to know about every aspect of it to go and follow your affiliate team um or you've just got to be someone who just wants to see the up and comers, uh, before they, before they hit the big time. It's almost like, it's like hipster soccer, right? Like we're watching the bands when there are only 50 people there totally. and then eventually they'll be playing to sort of a sold out Madison square garden. But I don't think even if like soccer becomes the most pop, oh, I guess soccer would have to become the most popular sport in America for that to be like, for that niche of the soccer nerd people to be big enough to sort of make, make it a big deal to go and watch these sort of youngsters in the USL. Okay, so that's actually exactly what I wanted to mention next is do you think that could happen in the United States? And and I want to kind of throw out there, you know, I read this article uh, from 442 that was talking about how Division 4 could be the, 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 you know, the thing that advances U.S. soccer, not just in in popularity of the sport, but also perhaps in, in growing better athletes to grow from Division Four all the way to the top, even in Europe. Uh, Division Four could be the thing that kind of grows and helps that along more than perhaps even other leagues in other divisions. But do you think that, you know, that the United States could grow this sport to be as big as, say, Major League Baseball that has, you know, 32 teams or 30 teams with over 200 minor league affiliates were the best baseball country in the world same with maybe basketball and football american football is that something you see soccer growing into someday so by division four do you mean sort of like npsl and those yeah. kinds of leagues yeah starting yeah, okay. with that and then obviously division three is on its way so i mean yeah how do you see that shaking out in the united states yeah so i think right next year as i understand it we're getting a usl division three and also the peter wilt um i think it's called nisl division three which will be kind of linked to nasl mm-hmm. um and i so what i'm seeing is that all that stuff really is the future because if you've looked at somewhere like uh, detroit city fc mm. um and the sort of i i was so my, my wife is from michigan so we were home uh in michigan recently and i saw that there was a game between detroit city fc and ann arbor which is the university the town that university of michigan is in mm. um, and i think they had something like five thousand seven hundred people for that game <laughs> but that's a really good attendance for a fourth division team right and yeah. everything i hear about those detroit city fans is that they're sort of super passionate and they like feel some ownership in their team and i think that's the thing that will be huge is it doesn't it almost doesn't matter how big your media market is if you can just have a team that the local population feels ownership of and actually does have some influence over like i painted that fence or whatever Mm -hmm. then i think i really think that's the future for um making american soccer um just just to for having it grow to places where you wouldn't expect it to grow not that detroit is a small media market obviously they've got all the major league teams i mean everything except soccer but i think that model can work um anywhere and that's how soccer can grow 
Yeah, it's actually really funny that it happened in Detroit and not, you know, yeah. you know, other cities like it or maybe Kingston Stockade and Chattanooga maybe is a better uh, example. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Chattanooga. Uh, but Detroit has something really great going. And I love that an away game in Ann Arbor got 5,000 yeah. people. That's incredible. <laughs> um, so what about um, what about Division four in developing young players? Um, obviously, it's essential with the length of the NCAA season to have something like a division four where they can play in the off season and get minutes and, and experience. Do you see that playing a big role in growing these players to be better players as well as a division three and in two itself is, is going pretty well. What do you think? I think theoretically, yes, but for some reason, the name that springs to my mind is uh, Todd Wharton. Um, he was a university of Virginia guy who was playing for, RVA FC, who have since rebranded to Fredericksburg FC, who I who are I, th- I want to say an MPSL team. Sometimes I get the names of the Division Four um, leagues uh, confused. I think they're an MPSL team. Mm-hmm. And he looked incredible when I saw him for RVA FC. Only saw a couple of games, but I was really impressed by him. And I saw his name on the MLS draft list, and I, so that means like MLS had signed him, but he wasn't assigned to a team yet. Mm-hmm. And then when draft day came, he didn't get taken. And I think he's now maybe with Portland Timbers too or with Portland Timbers U23s. Um, but it, it kind of makes me think that it's it's good for players to get that extra soccer because the college season isn't long enough to have a whole season of soccer. It's essentially what they can do in the spring, right? Yeah. That when you play for a, uh, an NPSL team. Um, but I'm not, so I'm glad it's there, but I'm not sure it's enough to guarantee that everybody gets enough experience and exposure. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was on your show, actually, where Alexi Lawless said you should use that extra U.S. soccer money to uh, just pay off a bunch of politicians to get the NCAA season to be longer (laughs) so that they can compete, which is almost an extension of what Jurgen Klinsmann was trying to fight for in a way. Um, Do you think that's a a huge deterioration or, you know, something that's keeping U.S. from getting bigger and better? You mean just the college soccer season? Yeah. I mean, really just the split where we could have we could have these division four teams going all year round, or we could have college seasons going all year round instead of the short season. But we've got this blend of both. It's kind of a weird situation Yeah, as usual I'm, in the U S but exactly. So here's the thing, right? Because I'm foreign, right? You know, I've been here 11 years, but I'm from England. I'm very wary of coming in here. I'm, I'm very wary of being Jürgen Klinsmann and just coming in and saying, not yeah. that I have his influence, obviously just coming in saying, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. You should do it. How I, how we do it in Europe. Like I kind of feel like, College soccer is there and it's established and it's produced all kinds of players, right? Clint Dempsey played in college. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's not as if it's um, <laughs> some kiss of death for for your career. Um, okay. So I, I don't think the answer is to sort of rip the college game out completely. Um, but then at the same time, I'm not sure the answer is to expand the college game because maybe, maybe it's better to just have a slow process where you get – enough say division three teams and enough usl teams like say it's going to be division two enough nasl teams that the um talented but not quite uh you know top level players who are 18 to 22 they don't have to go to college but they can go and play for a usl team and or go through an academy and then join a usl team um, and get their career started there and then if you don't make it there then at least college is kind of a fallback Mm -hmm. right so college is still a fallback where you can go and almost get a second chance at soccer because you could develop from 18 to 22. Something could change and suddenly you're this this great player that you weren't when you were 17 and a half, right? Because it's kind of young to make a decision. But at the same time, if you do it right, you can also get a degree and get it paid for on a scholarship. So I kind of like it as, a, as an option because, you know, a soccer scholarship in college, like you can think of it in terms of, this is how I think of it anyway, you can think of it in terms of, does it develop the best players? Is it helping the US national team? But you've got to also think of it as, 
is that an op- an avenue for someone to sort of better their life, right? They can use their soccer skills to get a scholarship, get an education, and then they end up becoming, I don't know, like an English literature professor, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it's not one dimensional. We can't be, we yeah. can't have blinders on only thinking of soccer. We got to think of these these kids growing up into adults that are yeah. citizens of the United States. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, I've even seen, you know, a lot of colleges, this is actually perhaps already the happy medium, is a lot of colleges are allowing guys to get scholarships, play for a year. And then if they want to go pro, they let them come back and finish out their schooling after that. Yeah. Um, I know one academy kid here in St. Louis is, uh, is perhaps he's verbal agreement to go to Duke. And that's his plan. He says, I'm going to go for a year probably, but if I want to drop out and go, go pro, I can still go back and finish at a quality university, obviously. So, so, so the, the deal is what, if they play one full season, then the, the door is open for them to come back at any time if they leave. Yeah. And I, I don't uh, know if a there's good deal. a, yeah. And I don't know if there's a time a limit on that. Perhaps they come back when they're 30 or 34. Yeah. Perhaps Clint Dempsey had, if he had had this deal, could retire in a couple of years and, and go off and uh, finish his degree. <laughs> Who knows? Didn't, uh, didn't Alexi Lalas do that? I remember a couple of years ago, he right. uh, graduated from Rutgers after he'd left early to basically play for the US national team, right? That's right. I imagine he didn't get that for free, but <laughs> maybe he did. Who knows? But um, there's that option. But I'm also seeing, on the other hand, another St. Louis Academy kid um, went, he ended up in the Sporting Kansas City system because his brother ended up working for them. So he went and lived with his brother and is playing for Swope Park or and their academy. He's a younger guy. Um, but he was had a verbal agreement to go to Akron, and he literally just announced that he's not going to go to Akron. He's going to stay with Swope mm. Park and sign a professional deal, which means he is ineligible to play in NCAA in the future. And that's a huge decision for this kid. It um, is. And so, I mean, the downside is perhaps he doesn't make it and he doesn't have free college in the future. But the bright side is perhaps USL is producing players in his opinion that are, you know, so much better and higher quality that he is willing to make that make, take that risk, I guess. And- yeah. And it gives him a choice, right? It gives him the option of, I'm gonna, I can try my hand at professional soccer. And if I impress for Swope Park, then it's not a big step up to go, or at least it's not a complicated move to then get signed by Sporting KC. Yeah. So perhaps that's another avenue where, okay, if, if you're angry with the college system, uh, American soccer fans start stepping up and going to USL clubs and getting them to sign these 17, 16 year olds on academy signings and then convincing them to stay as a pro instead of going to college. If yeah. that's the best thing for them in their decision, uh, these USL clubs could produce much better players in the future to the point where kids don't want to go to college um, if they're that interested in pro soccer. So you know, there's that too. Yeah. It's all about multiple paths, right? Multiple paths, I think provides us with the best chance of getting the most possible players in the professional ranks. And also it's just good for people to have as many options as possible. Without a doubt. And, um, I imagine that's something I wanted, I meant to plug this earlier, but you know, let's kind of wrap up here, but, um, you just started a new podcast with top drawer soccer and you guys are going to be talking about this kind of stuff. Can you tell me maybe what's on the slate in the near future here? I actually don't know what next week's show is. Oh, but we have recorded this week's show already. Mm-hmm. Um, on this week's show, it's Will Parshman and I, Will Parshman from Top Draw Soccer. Um, we talk about the the draw for the U17 World Cup. The US was drawn with um, host nation India, with Ghana, and with Colombia. So it's kind of like a good and bad draw. Yeah. Um, we talk about the development academies. Um, essentially, 
ranking the sort of top few and the bottom few most successful development academies and trying to figure out some commonalities to see what they all, what do the, the successful academies have in common? What do the least successful academies have in common? I don't want to reveal exactly what that is because I want to encourage people to listen to find out. <laughs> can, you, uh, can you kind of give us a teaser? Is St. Louis listed in that list perhaps? No, it was, it was all MLS development academies. Uh, got it. We sort of, we narrowed it down to just MLS teams with development academies. Okay. Well, uh, uh, St. Louis fans, they mentioned St. Louis, just so you know, so you should go look at that. <laughs> no, not true. Um, okay, well, you've got Would a you talk of... about Josh Sargent, if that helps? Yeah, that does seriously help. Um, <laughs> eh, man, I wasn't going to mention this, but I now I have to because you mentioned him. Um, how bad is it? This is the last thing we'll talk about, and we'll, we'll sign off here. But how bad is it that St. Louis, I don't know if this is something you've talked to other people about. So I'm just curious what is said on your level of the business here. Um, but t- Josh Sargent came through the St. Louis system, but St. Louis is going to see $0 on a transfer. And, and in some ways, that's good. In some ways, that's bad. But, you know, St. Louis obviously lost homegrown rights to um, Sporting Kansas City, even if he did decide to play um, in the United States, if we did somehow get an MLS team someday. Um, but how bad is it for a small club, even a USL club, to not get any money for such a quality player that's going to go to Europe? Is that all bad? So, I mean, yes, but it's it's part of the weird, complicated system of um, homegrown players and major, major League Soccer and the development academies, right? I think I talked about this with Will on the very first episode or maybe the recent episode of the Top Draw Soccer Show, and he described it as the the claims for homegrown players. It's almost like there are geographic boundaries sort of theoretically drawn, but it's almost like nothing is established until things are challenged. It's almost like it has to go to, is it called appellate court, where you, know, you make an appeal mm. and then a judge decides one way or another. And so it's almost like the the U.S. soccer development system and where those players end up being, um, you know, committed to is being figured out as people make appeals case by case by case by case. And it seems like, uh, I mean, the situation is that St. Louis are not an MLS team, right? So then they don't, they're not involved in the homegrown player mechanism. So therefore, they can't make a claim on a a development academy kid um, who was developed in a St. Louis-based academy. Yeah, but in Europe, say this was a European academy, don't they get to sell their players on and, and use that money to help develop other players better? Yeah, definitely. But so, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, the academy that uh, Sergeant came through is at the Scott Gallagher Academy, mm-hmm. something like that. That's not directly related to the St. Louis FC team. Is that correct? I might have that wrong. It's not, but they are changing it as of oh, okay. this year. So if they change it, and this is something I should have asked the club, I apologize, but is that, do you know if they change it? Is that something St. Louis could see money from in the future as a USL you know, affiliated academy? I think, so the other, the other big thing here, and again, this is something I don't know too much about, but it's something I want to talk to Will Parchman about and really get the, the lowdown on, is the major problem is that the development academies in the US don't get those, um, are they called um, like compensation fees for when you develop a player, you're supposed to get a percentage of his sort of sell-on transfer fee, right? That's what happens everywhere else. And for some reason, Major League Soccer and US Soccer have not been enforcing that. They've kind of been fighting against it. Um, and I think that aren't there like clubs that helped develop DeAndre Yedlin before he went to the Sanders Academy that sort of deserved a cut of his transfer fee when he first moved to Spurs, but didn't see any of it. And there's a lot of little things like that going on that um, I know that I know that the uh, I, I say I know I'm pretty sure that the youth academies are not happy about because they're not being treated fairly. Yeah, because I don't know what Josh would would fetch 
for and in, in Europe on a transfer fee at this stage in his life. But even a hundred grand is a lot of money in USL. So yeah. that's just something I think about and dream about from time to time. Um, but you know, it could also hinder his, his leaving as we've seen with MLS players that are really good yeah. and that they cost too much to even make it worth their time. So maybe the short term optimistic solution would be, uh, some form of like homegrown player for USL teams. Mm. So you don't have to be MLS, uh, related to get a homegrown player. You can be a USL homegrown player and then USL teams can start making claims on local players. For example, Chris Durkin, we talked about earlier, he is from Metro Richmond, I think from uh, just outside of the city. Mm. Um, so if Richmond kickers could make homegrown player claims, they could have grabbed, tried to grab Durkin for their team. But instead Richmond falls under DC United sort of, what is it, a radius of uh, homegrown players. So therefore they were able to claim him early. Man, Daryl, you're trying to add more and more layers to all the rules yeah. that we have in USL and MLS <laughs> signings. But honestly, as an independent, you know, lover of an independent USL club, that sounds really, really good to me. But um, <laughs> but I'm sure there are downsides. And I hope perhaps you can mention that, like you said, to Will Parchman. I would love to hear yeah. uh, a few more answers about that. So. He loves that stuff. He'd love to go deep on that. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep listening as always. Um, Daryl, you want to wrap up? Let us know where we can find you and, and maybe pitch your shows and all that you do, which I think is, is amazing. <laughs> okay. So my two big ones right now are the Total Soccer Show. You can find us on sort of any podcast player. We cover the US men's national team. We just put out a Gold Cup final preview. We went deep on Jamaica. We sort of watched a lot of Jamaica footage and tried to give US fans sort of a lowdown on what to expect from Jamaica and how the US can sort of combat their strengths and exploit their weaknesses. Um, we'll also have the review show out late Wednesday night. Then the other show that we just mentioned was uh, the Top Draw Soccer Show, which we're doing in partnership with topdrawsoccer.com. It's focused on youth development and uh, sort of the future of American soccer, uncovering the underbelly of American soccer. That's a pretty good pitch, right? That, that's the first time I've pitched those two podcasts together. I mean, it flowed right off the tongue like you've been thinking about it all day long and all week long, which is probably the case. Um, Daryl, thank you so much for joining me and geeking out with me, obviously, for it looks like yeah. about 45 minutes now. So <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. And, I enjoyed uh, it. Yeah, man. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, maybe we can do it again soon. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Phil. All right. All right. Big thanks to Daryl Grove one more time for joining me today. And I wanted to let everybody know where to find us. St. Louis people, I'm not sure if I put all this information up anyway. So if you'd like to ask questions about this episode or any ECC episode, you can find us on Twitter at ECCPOD, ECCPOD. And uh, I'm Phil Grooms. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, STL Soccer Report on Twitter. Please give ECC a chance. You can catch up on all the other teams that in the goings-on of the Eastern Conference, uh, specifically Eastern Conference stuff. So give us a listen. I know we're recording on Thursday night, which is tomorrow night right now. And so a uh, new episode's going to be up pretty soon. Give it a shot. And if you don't listen to Total Soccer Show or the Top Drawer Soccer Show, then for goodness sake, shame on you. Really good stuff. Uh... I like their lukewarm takes, which are, if you listen to the show, you'll figure out what that is. All right. One more time. Thank you again for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.